How's it going, everybody? Welcome to the Easy Peasy Podcast, where we discuss living better through permaculture, mindfulness, decentralization, freedom, flow, agorism, anarchy, and more. We'll discuss how to solve life's complex problems with simple solutions. This is Mike the Polymath coming from the Easy Peasy Workshop in Indianapolis, Indiana, the crossroads of America. Thanks for joining me. patios at the center of a legal battle, and it could impact homeowners across Indianapolis. So if you have a deck or a patio in your yard, or if you're thinking of adding one this summer, this is a story you'll want to stop and watch tonight. Senior investigative reporter Bob Siegel shows you how a zoning rule you've probably never heard of could cost you thousands. Kim and Ray Pack have quite a view of Geist Reservoir. It's just so relaxing to be out here. But relaxing is not how the Pecks describe their six-year legal fight with the city of Indianapolis, a fight that focuses on this backyard patio. It's hard to even enjoy it because you're thinking at any moment, someone's going to say, you got to rip this out. It's been easily the worst experience of our lives. According to the lawsuit, fisherman and open carry activist Michael Taylor was walking south on the Holliver Bridge overpass towards his fishing destination located at the inlet near the bridge underpass. Mr. Taylor was observably wearing fishing attire, a fishing backpack containing a tackle box and other fishing gear, and holding a fishing pole in his left hand. Mr. Taylor was holding a camera in his right hand. He was also openly carrying two firearms, a AR-15 rifle slung across his chest, barrel facing the ground, and a Glock 23 handgun holstered on his hip. Officer Kunkus would approach Mr. Taylor on foot and would reach for Mr. Taylor's firearm. Mr. Taylor would vocally object and would explain to Officer Kunkus that he is lawfully open carrying while engaged in fishing, hunting, and camping. After a brief back and forth, Officer Kunkus would handcuff Mr. Taylor's hands behind his back. And so on my way back to the car, I ended up, you know, putting my stuff back in my bag and proceeded to go up and over the harbor to the Bell Harbor side. And before I even got there, I see him coming and I'm like, all right, here we go. And um, I have stuff in my hands. I've got a flag, fishing pole, and a GoPro in my hand. So my hands are pretty full and they approach and Officer Kunkis comes right out of the car and it's like, hey, what are you doing? Like, And I'm like, hey, I'm about to go fishing. And he just reaches out, tries to grab my gun. And I'm like, dude, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? And I say my fourth amendment. And that was one of the scariest things when he was just like, yeah, 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 whatever. Like, and I'm just like, this is not going to go well. 255,162. That is how many applications the ATF has received to register their pistol braces as of June 1st, 2023, according to my friend Stephen Gutowski at The Reload. Now, 255,162 sounds like a large number. 
until you realize how many braces are out there. Depending on which number you want to believe, three to four million braces compared to only 255,162 registration applications is a huge disparity. That means at best using the ATF's deflated numbers, only 8% of the people with braces complied with the ATF's June 1st deadline. Now, this does not account for the people who chose to destroy or surrender their braces. But if I'm a betting man, those numbers won't be anywhere near the number of applications to register. But who are we fooling? We all know the vast majority of the people who actually registered their braces really only did it to get a free SBR because the ATF tried to incentivize people to register their braces by removing the $200 tax stamp, which doesn't seem astronomical until you realize you have four guns with braces on them. And now that $200 is now $800 just to simply ask the government for permission to put a stock on the gun you bought. Right now you're being placed under arrest for operating while intoxicated, okay? I'm not intoxicated. I'm not yeah, zero. An Iowa teenager is suing his hometown after he says he was arrested for an OWI while he was completely sober. You know, when he accused me of being drunk, that's when I got really confident because I knew it was going to go one way and it was going to go my way. 19-year-old Taven Galanakis is a freshman at William Penn University, where he's a wide receiver for the school's football team. But on the weekend of August 28th last year, he was about an hour north in his hometown of Newton, Iowa. Yeah, so I was coming home from one of my friends' house. Um, we were just watching some football, and I looked around, like, I think it was 11.30, if I can remember right. And I had a headlight out, so my idea was raining, it was cloudy and all of that, really dark. So I used my brights. Galanakis says one of his headlights was out, so he put on his brights within city limits. That's when Newton police officer Nathan Winters pulls him over. Hi there. How you doing, sir? Good, how are you? Good. My name is Officer Winters with the Newton Police Department. The reason I pulled you over is because you have your bright lights on. Yeah, but I have a headlight out, but I just keep my brights on. Okay, well, that's not legal. Oh, is it? No. Yeah, I turn on when a car, when a car comes by, I turn them off, but like, you didn't with me. Oh, you weren't close enough, though. You were like, you were close you're enough. Wild, yeah, you were a while back. It has to be within 500. Oh, my bad. Sorry. And you're not that. supposed to have your brights on in the city limits. My fault, my fault. You got your license, registration, insurance, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, pulled me over. So then once he pulled me over, he began to be really hostile. And I could tell, by the way, like right when he got to my window, just asking me if I had anything to drink right away, you know? So it was just one of those things I was like, it's going to be like that. So, you know, I try to keep my calm, keep my cool. Where are you coming from? Prince House. Okay. Anything to drink over there? Nope. I didn't hear what you said. Is one of these? Need one of these right here? Yeah, I mean, that's a good start. That's the registration. You are not permitted to have a dog. The HOA is demanding that we get rid of our dogs. They won't like our response. Our dogs and all of our pets, including yours, are our companions. Can you imagine going to your family, going to our kids, going to your kids saying, hey, the HOA, so-and-so said, we just got to get rid of the dogs. What's your experience with these HOAs? Do they really target families and nitpick on crap like this? What about stalkers? Anyone ever dealt with them? We thought the email harassment stopped and they actually appeared to have created a new email address. This time, it's crossed the line. Just last week, they claimed we we're going to be fined 
$8.28 because we left our tractor outside overnight. Per section 2.1c, we are issuing a fine of $8.32 since you left your tractor outside your barn overnight. We're not paying $8.28. We aren't paying anything. We will park our damn tractor wherever we want. And we told them the exact same thing. We thought we put a little humor in it by burying our tractor in that big snowbank. Well, everybody, we're here with Joel Salatin at the Rogue Food Conference in beautiful Lewisburg, Tennessee. Joel is a hero of the food liberty movement. He's been uh, the founder of Polyface Farms in Pennsylvania, longtime Virginia, Virginia. <laughs> longtime author for the Stockman Grass Farmer and several of his own books. Uh, travels the world now, educating and speaking <laughs> on the virtues of food and liberty. Thanks for joining me today, uh, Joel. What uh, what is Rogue Food Conference all about? Why did you start it? Well, we started it because um, if, if anybody knows our story, we've had many, many uh, battles with uh, we call the food police, and um, and it's gotten much worse over the years. And um, I just realized that th there comes a time when uh, when regulation becomes so overbearing that instead of sitting around here trying to, okay, how do we comply? You know, let me coach you on how to comply, how to get the license, how to, how to comply with the regulation, whatever. There comes a point where you say, you know what? <laughs> Hang the compliance. Let's just build a different universe and, and, uh, and opt out. A parallel society. A, par a parallel, parallel universe. Very much like the homeschoolers did. You know, they, they, they tried, they tried to, to, you know, hold the public schools to account. I mean, back in the sixties and then, you know, they got worse and worse and then the private schools started and, you know, that was a help, but it was still, it still had something missing. And then you had the whole homeschool thing was just, let's just, let's just completely build a parallel universe. And so, uh, so our, our slogan here is circumvention, not compliance. There are two allied concepts. There's overcriminalization. Too many things have been made into crimes. But then there is a, a, a kind of a vicious relative, and that is uh, statutes that are so vague that no normal human being can figure out what it is you can so do. So what's, uh, what's an example of over something that's been criminalized that shouldn't be, and then what's an example of a statute that is so vague it can mean anything? There's a, this enormous number of statutes from regulations in the country. Federally, um, uh, there are hundreds of thousands of, hundreds of thousands of regulations under each of the federal criminal statutes. So if there are about 30,000 statutes, there are at least 10 times that many regulations. And counting every day, regulations are added. These regulations, which nobody can assume, it's not a matter of common sense. You can't assume that, you know, um, you, uh, uh, you know, walking in certain areas of a federally protected forest is a crime. It's not even posted. You're just assumed to know it. And um, you can be picked up and you can be charged. And these are real criminal violations. What's going on, everybody? Welcome to episode 116. I'm sorry, that's 160 of the Easy Peasy Podcast. 
Today we're talking petty tyrants. You know, you ever notice how you give somebody just a little bit of power and they just jump all over it? They will exploit that power as much as they can, right? And it's it's something that people have become so accustomed to, they, they accept it. They accept all forms of tyranny from the highest level to the lowest, right? From the federal government to your neighborhood's HOA. And all it takes is some enforcer to take notice of what you are doing with your property and your body and decide that it's their business to make you do something else. And I don't want to I don't want to overstate or exaggerate. You know, it's like this this one story I'm covering here about the patio You know, this is local to my area, and it is in some ways kind of a first world problem, right? You know, it it wouldn't be a problem anywhere but the first world. That's a fact, right? So these folks, all they did was improve their landscape, something that I help people do for a living. And this is the city that I tend to work in, right? And it's got me wondering, because I build raised beds with trellises on the back. More often than not, they are well over 18 inches. You know, is that considered a minor residential structure according to the city of Indianapolis? It's kind of unclear. You know, my argument has always been that they are in no way permanent. You know, they can be removed as quickly as they are put in. They're not anchored to the ground. They are not, you know, there's no concrete. If you want to just pull it and replace it with grass, it can be done very, very easily. But it still has me wondering, right? Now, I make it clear with my clients because this is oftentimes an issue, especially HOAs. But when it comes to rules and regulations, covenants, you know, whatever you want to call them, they, I I always tell my clients it's kind of their responsibility to know what their rules are. I'll build whatever they ask me to build. But when it comes to sort of making sure you're compliant with your homeowners association and your county and your city and all of this crap, it's kind of on them. You know, it's their property. But I don't want to see any of my clients having to deal with, you know, any any kind of enforcement, right? And I would hate to have to tear out a garden, but I would rather tear one out than see one of my clients have to fight 
legally spend tons and tons of money just to protect their little raised bed garden or their patio or their pergola or what have you. And I guess I'm, I'm just kind of telling you my personal feelings and my personal reasons for focusing on that, that story as sort of the lowest, but in many ways most egregious forms of tyranny. You know, telling people they can't grow a vegetable garden in their front yard, for instance. Or they must maintain 75% grass minimum. Or, you know, any, any structures in the backyard can't be visible from the street. I mean, it's like, who cares, man? Who cares? And part of me wants to say, like, how did we even get here? And I, I hate to say it, I kind of blame, you know, the boomers. Because they got sold on this idea of, you know, oh, you know, join the HOA. It'll keep property values up. It'll make sure the neighborhood looks nice. And it's all for the greater good. But, you know, just give up a little bit of your autonomy. A little bit more. A little bit more. You know, this didn't happen overnight. Sort of the the bureaucratic branch of the government. Right? We're only supposed to have three branches, right? Executive, judicial, and legislative. But we effectively have a fourth and I suppose a fifth branch. Right? We've got the intelligence branch slash military industrial complex you know <clears throat> while that is supposed to fall under the executive well sort of under the executive and legislative it has basically become its own organism it bows to no one and does what it wills and then you have the administrative sort of bureaucratic branch of government that can just write up new policies change definitions, create laws out of thin air with no need for a vote. These are your zoning commissions, your your ATF, your FDA, your USDA, your, you know, CDC. These quasi-governmental bodies. You know, some of them are in the government, some are supposedly separate, but they serve as a form of government. And it's, it's always inspiring to me when I hear stories of people sticking up for themselves against these petty tyrants who have no business telling them what they can and cannot do. It seems so fucking obvious to me, but some people prefer to have all these regulations and codes and whatnot. They want a weapon to use against their enemies to where they don't even have to face the people directly. I mean, how many stories have you heard about shitty neighbors ratting people out to the HOA or to the 
you know, permit council or whatever. It's horrible. It's because people can't just face each other and work out disputes. And they think it's within their abilities and right to tell other people how to be. It makes me fucking sick. But that's probably enough of me ranting on. I'm going to continue these clips and maybe I'll come back at the end with some final thoughts. Here you go. The Pecks renovated the patio in 2017, expanding it to host family get-togethers and their daughter's Girl Scout gatherings. During construction, a neighbor complained the patio was being built without any permits and encroaching on his property. Next thing we know, we had an inspector show up. Do we need any permits? Is there any violations? He says, no, everything looks great. You know, keep going. So... The builders kept going. But the PECs say six weeks after they finished the renovation, a city building inspector returned with these. Three stop work orders claiming the PECs failed to get the permits they needed. The result? Six years of litigation. And just a few months ago, a magistrate in Marion County Superior Court ruled against the PECs. The court said the city has every right to enforce a little-known rule in the city's zoning code. It deals with what's called a minor residential structure, defined as structures such as porches, decks, or patios, 18 inches or greater in height. In his ruling, the magistrate wrote, patios greater than 18 inches are unambiguously designated as minor residential structures subject to city permit requirements, and the 18 inches includes all parts of the structure. It means the Peck's backyard patio did require a special permit because the retaining walls and this built-in countertop are more than a foot and a half off the ground. Oh, what? For real? Yeah, yeah. Keep carrying that around. I was going fishing, man. Whoa, 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 whoa. Hey, hey, hold on. I, I do not... My Fourth Amendment right. Everybody, let's remember what the Fourth Amendment is. It's prevention against unreasonable search and seizures. Generally, police officers need reasonable suspicion to temporarily detain you to conduct an investigation. They need probable cause to arrest you. And I anticipate what Michael's going to say is because he is fishing, so therefore he is allowed to openly carry this firearm in Florida. He is not breaking any law. Therefore, there's no reasonable suspicion to temporarily get detained by this officer, and there's certainly not probable cause to get arrested. At least that's what I would guess. My Fourth Amendment right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At this point, Officer Kunkus restricted Mr. Taylor's freedom of movement by exercising a physical show of force on Mr. Taylor and his firearm, thereby detaining Mr. Taylor or denying him the right to liberty without affording him due process. That's right. So if you are detained, even temporarily, you need at least reasonable suspicion. If you are detained without reasonable suspicion, that is a violation of your Fourth Amendment. Hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't, I don't consent. I don't consent to any of this, man. I'm going fishing. Look up 790.25, section 3, subsection H. It's not about who I voted for, man. While I'm engaged in fishing, hunting, and camping, I'm allowed to do that. Look up. Don't you think you're going to get people really excited about I, I'm not worried about what. Hey, look. This is my constitutional right. Michael's right. If it's legal, him getting other people riled up is none of his business. And getting other people riled up, although very uncomfortable or potentially uncomfortable, does not mean that he's committing a crime. Oh, to uphold this, 
Right. Okay. I, I, I hey, look, 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 uh, uh, look, 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 guys. Uh, I'm, I'm not. Stay over I'm, here. Look, look. You're not wearing a mask, dude. I'm trying to. Neither no, are you. Neither well, are you. I, I, you guys approach We're walking me. and talking, so I don't have it on. All right, hold on. Okay, it's an emergency. No, it's not an emergency. Yes, it is. I'm not doing nothing to nobody. While you're engaged in fishing, hunting, and camping. Okay, let's go talk is, about fishing first. There's no fishing on the jetty. Seven. There's no fishing under. You can't fish over no, here? No. I'm either one of you. There's people no, fishing there's, right now. No, there's no one <laughs> fishing right now. Oh, yeah, they are. No, they are. I just saw no, just I came over the. Then there's the injunctions from all of the lawsuits against the ATF's brace band that temporarily prevented the ATF from enforcing its silly little ban. But even if these injunctions didn't exist, there are millions of these things out there. You thought you were just going to scoop them up and start throwing people in jail for owning a piece of plastic that you already said was legal years ago? The only reason this stupid brace rule exists is because Biden pushed for it, which makes perfect sense because Nothing the Biden administration does makes any sense because everything for them is a dog and pony virtue signaling show. They don't put thoughts towards logistics or real world consequences for their policies. No, they just want to put another gun control law feather in their cap, not realizing the stupid law isn't stopping criminals. It's creating them because but for those injunctions, millions of people would have become felons as of June 1st. So that single parent mother who bought the pistol caliber carbine with a brace on it for home defense because it made it easier for her to shoot and protect herself, felon. Doctor who bought an AR pistol with a brace on it to keep with him in his car and going to and from his office because there have been several armed robberies committed by a group of criminals in the area where his office is, felon. This is how dumb this brace rule is. Not to mention most people don't even know about the rule. They're not getting email alerts from the ATF about rule changes. And even if they did, they likely wouldn't even understand what the hell the ATF was saying because the ATF writes in legalese. So, and the ATF is also changing its mind every three months. So even if you understand the legalese, three months later you won't because they changed their mind. And so no one understands what the ATF is saying. Body camera video shows Galanakis give Officer Winters his license, registration, and insurance information. After that, he's asked to get out of the vehicle. All right, that'll work. I'm gonna have you hop out with me, okay? Cool. Car on or off? Uh, you can probably leave the car off. Do me a favor, put your gum on the on your dash there. Oh my gum with that? Yeah. Officer Winters then asks Galanakis whether he has any weapons or drugs on him. We're gonna go back here, okay? Cool. You don't have anything on you? No bombs, guns, drugs? No bombs or no drugs. Okay, let's go back here. After that, the officer leads Galanakis into the front seat of his squad car. How much have you had to drink tonight? None. What do you mean none? I've had nothing to drink. Okay. Why would you? Uh, why would your eyes be watery and bloodshot? Do you want to blow me real quick? I don't want to blow you. Well, I told him that. I said, hey, blow me. And then he turned it into something sexual right after that, so... At that point, I know who I'm talking to. You know, he's not really professional. Galanakis tells Lawn Crime Network he wanted to take a breathalyzer exam right away because he didn't have anything to drink. You know, when he accused me of being drunk, that's when I got really confident because I knew it was going to go one way and it was going to go my way. So I confidently said, hey, let's, let's take that breathalyzer test. And On the body camera video, Galanakis can be heard repeatedly asking to take a breathalyzer test. Let's do the breath now. Two for two. 
make, make sure. Blow me too, man. Give me a little blow. I will. Zeros. I will here in a minute. Are we we the blow, let's blow real chance. quick. Stop doing all these damn tests. Let's blow. Let's get to business. A few months ago, we received another threat from them that we were going to get a $1,000 fine per bush because these bushes here were dead. And we told them the same thing. We noticed your smaller bushes over near the tree line are dead. And this is against HOA policy. You have three bushes that need to be replaced. They should be alive and well kept. The fine for upkeep, upkep bushes is $1,000 per bush. We are paying, but we did help them out and decided to get the old spray paint and decorated them. Now we're gonna have a green tree. But this crosses the line. You will not believe this message that we received. We deal with so much nonsense these days. As an example, the camper who shows up and it's okay that they're driving through our property, but they can peek in our windows. Law enforcement doesn't care. It takes them two hours to respond. Scamming us by trying to click on links. Scamming us by trying to give us free stuff that never shows up. is stuck in Neverland somewhere. Stalking my family. Trying to log into our accounts. Not to mention the threats against our family. That law enforcement don't give a crap about. We have law enforcement out there who's more worried about stuff like peaceful protests, but we have people getting threats and they don't care. So here's the email, HOA rules and regulations violation. Eric, we are trying to be flexible with you on these HOA rules. Most recently, we had an HOA meeting and agreed to lowering our fine for leaving your tractor out to under $10, but you still aren't complying. Look, you're right. I'm not compliant. I am not paying a fine, period. I don't care how much it is. It can be two cents. And if I ever did pay a fine, it would be miserable for you because I would have pennies upon pennies. I don't know if you cut pennies in half, but it would be a freaking mess. There are many HOA laws you are not obeying. And I must say, we have been flexible, but feel it's time for you to take us seriously or frankly move. Your neighbors and your HOA aren't impressed. So, first of all, I am not moving, and that appears to be another threat by you, Margaret. I will not move, I will not do anything, and you will not get me out of this house. I have talked to several of our neighbors next door, a couple houses down. Nobody knows what the heck you're even talking about because there is no HOA. And we're planning, right now it looks like we're going to have somewhere between six and eight elected politicians there, sitting congressmen, sitting delegates and senators from around the country. That's really great to see the actual politicians. Coming the the to actual us. policy makers come yeah. to actually get this this understanding and, and for us to know that there's a knee there that hasn't bowed to bail, too. That's good. Yeah. Uh, so anyway, we're uh, uh, and, and at our place, we're able to handle up to 400. So uh, we're hoping to really let that be a. Um, you know, that, that, that gets you where people come and say, wow, this is, this has got some legs to it. You know, it's pretty exciting. I, I think you're really making a difference. And I, I'm honored that you'd speak with me and take a little bit of time because you've even been on Joe Rogan's show oh, what, yeah. a couple of times. Now, yep. isn't it? Mm -hmm. What's yeah, it like talking to him? He's, he's a, he's a guy like you and I, you know, he just has a great gift and, and, uh, he's a real, um, thoughtful, um, interviewer. Uh, totally focused, um, no notes. Yeah, he just wings it. He he wings it, but he, but he's 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 totally engaged. You know, yeah. and, and 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 it's like he's never looking at a clock either. You know, he's not he's not watching a clock or anything. But um, yeah, 
wonder, wonderful, uh, wonderful guy. Very interesting and obviously extremely talented at, at what he does. It's been fun to, to watch the guests that he has on because sure. they're really the non-mainstream guys like you. Right. Um, you know, different doctors throughout the COVID pandemic mm -hmm. and stuff and people that are willing to say things that are will go against the norm and possibly co have consequences and troubles for them outside of that. You know, that's why I think it's so important that we do events like this and we we gather together with like-minded people and show that strength is there right. in numbers. Well, you know, it's uh, when you're a maverick, when you're a maverick, you know, unorthodox, it's lonely out there. You know, your family thinks you're crazy. Your friends think you're crazy. Uh, you know, people in your social groups think you're crazy. Of course, now, you know, you get censored, you get badgered, you get, uh, if you do a, you know, a blog, you get hate mail. If you do a podcast, you get, you know, and, and, um, so it's really, really critical that people come and, um, and and commiserate fellowship and be encouraged by, yeah, there's a, there's, it, it, it's a bigger undercurrent than you think. And we're, and we're, that's good. We're actually, we're, yeah, we're talking about solutions too. Mm -hmm. You know, one thing right. that we talked a lot about today are PMAs, private member associations. Mm -hmm. I know that's something you're learning about for your farm too. And right. I think, um, one of the key things to understand about that is we're we got to stop asking for permission mm -hmm. from government and we have to understand that we've got a higher calling we've got a higher authority right and that's your creator whatever you believe in that gives you you know those divine rights as a as a human so i think that's one of the key understandings is we've been trained through our public education system that government is the supreme being in some, in some way. Yeah. And, and, and in fact, uh, well, you know, John Taylor Gatto, who wrote, uh, you know, dumbing us down, um, uh, you know, really captured this. He was, you know, New York state teacher of the year for a couple of years and, and, uh, then got out of the system because he just saw it was so corrupt, but he would take his students down, you know, down Madison Avenue and, and, you know, um, you know, do things completely out of the classroom. And, um, you know, one of his most profound uh, thoughts, I think, in the book uh, struck me was that in, in the in the school, in the institutional school system, you learn that the only thing worth learning is what somebody else thinks is worth learning. And if you're interested in don't question it, right, and don't question it. And if you're in history class and the bell rings for math class, well, now you can no longer be interested in history. You have to be interested in math and you just switch your switch your. And it, 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 as he describes it, I mean, I was in that system and, um, and, and, you know, you don't realize what's happening to you. I mean, just like you know, the average person doesn't realize when we talk about um, you know, not being able to get uh, food of your choice. Well, I go to Walmart and Costco and look at all the choice. You know, what are you talking about? But more than any pharaoh of Egypt or king of England yes, ever yes, had access absolutely. to. <laughs> but, 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 and that's, that's, the, uh, that's the hardest messaging part of, of this whole thing is to bring people to an understanding of what you can't get. So try to get, so, you know, at Kroger's, can you get raw milk? Can you get, um, can you get Aunt Matilda's uh, uh, chicken pot pie? Can you get, you know, you can go down this list. Uh, can you can you get um, neighbor Max um, homemade pepperoni and bologna? You know, and, and so when you start down that path of um, of of true authentic artisanal culinary options, there's not much there's not much at the supermarket. And so 
but but to describe that to help people to understand what what are you missing what are you not getting where's the food with actual nutrition yeah still? yeah that's right that's right and and as the average person with our you know full supermarket shelves do, doesn't have an understanding of oh i'm missing something so can you please let us know I don't see where it says that I have to open the door. I mean, okay. if you can show me, I'm, I'm going to do it. I mean. Okay. So if I understand correctly, you're not going to unlock the door for me to go in and serve the order? That's what my okay. attorney advised me to do. Okay. So I'm going by his advice. Okay. So you're not going to let me in? I'm just going by the advice of my attorney. Okay. Well, we're not going to hassle you anymore today. So um, I will have to return the warrant to the judge and let him know that. Okay. Up to you. Okay. Um, would you like to take five minutes and just talk to me in private? Sure, I don't mind if, uh, if we're allowed to put on a record. Okay, I wanted to talk to you in private, but... Is, is that what you consider private? Or? Uh, no, it would be me and you talking. Yeah, as long if, if it's not on the record, then I would decline. Okay, all right. Have a nice day. I would sure like five minutes. <laughs> For the first time, we hear from jurors in the trial of raw milk producer Vernon Hirschberger. I'm Theo Keith with their accounts into the case. Those jurors say they grew frustrated with prosecutors and say their deliberation was quick and peaceful. Good evening. I'm Eric Franke. And I'm Michelle Lee. Four weeks ago, a Sauk County jury acquitted Vernon Hirschberger of three counts, convicting him of breaking state seals and continuing to sell raw milk after the state ordered him not to. A judge fined him $1,000 and ordered him to pay court costs. We have spent over $240,000 defending this. And again, all we did was rebuild our patio on our home property. And here we are, six years later, this has been a disaster for our family. Are people actually being um, prosecuted on that? Or is this kind of like a sword of Damocles that is hanging over our head so that it's just a pretext and if we don't even know we're breaking the law, does the law actually govern govern our actions? Well, yes, people are being prosecuted. One of the reasons people are being prosecuted is we have too many people working for the government and not enough useful work for them to do. So you do have this phenomenon of government people looking for somebody who's committing a crime. So if, you know, you're a Bobby Unser and you're, you, you've got a uh, you're taking a sled ride and a, a, a power sled ride, and there's a storm, and you you accidentally go into an area of federally protected land where you're not allowed to have uh, snowmobiles. Um, he he got charged mm -hmm. uh, in that case. It was completely uh, accidental that he got into that area because of a storm. Well, he's prosecuted, and these are the kinds of crimes for which in, good intent uh, is not a defense. Uh, there's no what we call mens rea requirement. You don't have to know that it was a crime to go over this invisible line. This is actually a very interesting legal hypothetical. What if there was no fishing? He's on his way to go fish, but for whatever reason, maybe fishing is uh, outlawed on this specific time or day or part of the season. Did he still have the intent to go fish? And if he had the intent to go fish, is his carrying of a firearm legal in this manner? Meaning simply would have Michael's mistake that he could have fished, excused him, and allowed him to open carry under this law. I wonder if this is going to be an angle that's addressed later down the line. No, why not? Because I'm not doing anything unlawful. Well, how am I, I going to know that you have the right to carry these weapons if you don't have your identification? 
This guy is a walking encyclopedia. And to be fair, you really should be a walking encyclopedia if you are going to carry firearms in this manner because, let's be real, it is going to attract this attention. Now, I'm not saying it's right for the police officer to blatantly stop you, but come on, let's get real here. Now, the problem with this officer's argument is there is no offense that he can articulate if he was going to go fish. So if there was no offense that he can articulate that have reasonable suspicion for, he doesn't need to or shouldn't ID him because there's no point. But that's not Michael's problem. I get it. The complaint. People might call and say, hey, there's somebody with a big firearm fishing. Doesn't make it illegal and doesn't make it Michael's problem. Am I, am I being okay. Yeah, yes, you are. Okay. You don't have to answer any questions, but you do have to identify yourself. No, I do not. Yes, you do. Under what yes, law? 901-151. Public order. No. Yes. Public order. The public order needs to be lawful. If it's a non-lawful, if it's an unlawful public order, it's not a valid public order. So here Michael's position is the order is unlawful. And if the order is unlawful, he doesn't have to identify himself because if you think about it, then the police could just make anything a order and you would have to do it. Yes. No, you're both wrong. Yes. I can't believe I need I need to get get your state attorney on the okay, phone. My name's right state here. State okay. attorney. All right. There, go ahead. Oh, I don't care about your sergeant. Get your state attorney. State attorney. Right now, I am telling you what I am doing is lawful. And notice how he's clearly detained. He is clearly detained. He's surrounded by four police officers. He is not free to leave. And um, so you know they surround me. And I'm sitting there trying to explain, hey, I'm trying to go fishing. I'm like, I saw people fishing. That's the only reason I'm coming over here to go fishing. And the one thing about all of it is that I wasn't even there. So if they're like, hey, there's no fishing, I'm like, yeah, I'll turn around and go away. And I tried to do that. But they were like, no, no, you're under arrest. What were the charges? They charged me with open carry, which is 790.053 of the Florida statutes, and uh, resisting without violence, which is always, it's something that they seem to like to do to anybody that has a disagreement with them they're not I, I it's not that i wouldn't comply with them i was just telling them that i was doing something lawful because i was telling them all that they didn't like it so when they arrested me they hit me with that secondary charge these people just want to protect themselves and live their lives they don't have time to be worried about barrel length and stock configuration ratios these dumb gun laws hurt real and good people but they don't care because these laws aren't about helping people they're about controlling them think about it the vast majority of gun violence in this country, including mass shootings, is committed with handguns. But instead of actually fighting real crime like illegal gun trafficking, the ATF is in court fighting over a piece of plastic designed to help you shoot a gun more accurately. And last I checked, shooting accurately was kind of the whole point of having a gun for self-defense. I guess so. How much turn? Uh, take a series of small steps. How many steps did I say to take? Like eight or nine? I said nine. Why'd you take 14 and then 15? I thought you were going to tell me when to turn. I said to count your steps out loud. And uh, I try to recall directions like, hey, can you tell me again? And you want to state them clearly. So I tried my best. And he said I took one extra step. When, on the nine-step test, he said I took one extra step. And I guess that's how he determined if I was drunk or high.
Galanakis admits he may have slipped up on the tests because he was nervous at the time. Maybe, I don't know, maybe I slurred my words, you know, a little bit because I was nervous. But, yeah, that's just basic nerves, you know what I'm saying? All right, during this, keep your arms down your side. Why are you shaking so much? It's freezing, man. Look at you, you got all these clothes on, and I got shorts on, and it's raining. And you false accusing me, so of course I'm going to be a little nervous. Yeah. You got nothing to say. After this, Galanakis is asked to perform multiple other field sobriety tests. Is that six inches to you? Yep. How did I tell you to count? One Mississippi, two Mississippi, three Mississippi. I honestly forgot how you told me, but I'm doing this pretty well. So I, um, I just, just follow my finger with your eyes and your eyes only and don't move your head, okay? Gotcha. After telling Galanakis he's likely impaired, you're showing some very strong signs of impairment. Am I? Officer Winters finally performs a breathalyzer test. All right, what I want you to do is make a tight seal around this and blow outwards like you're blowing up a balloon, okay? Cool. All right. You ready? Yep. Okay, you can relax. Um, so I'm going to read your Miranda, okay? When's the, right now you have the right to remain silent. Anything you say can and will be used against you in a court of law. While Officer Winters does not tell Galanakis the results of the test, the zeros can be seen on the body camera video. After that, he asks Galanakis when the last time he smoked weed was. When's the last time you smoked weed? I do not remember that. Tonight? Oh. Okay, well, I, would, no I, weed tonight, I think right? it's tonight. I've had no weed tonight. What? Why do you think it's tonight? Why do you think I smoked? I blew zero, so now you're trying to think I smoked weed. That's what's going on. You can't do that, man. You really can't do Absolutely that. Absolutely, I can. Is he allowed to do that? Yes, he is. Per the CC and R's, I'm not very smart with HOAs. What are CC and R's? You are not permitted to have a dog over 30 pounds in the neighborhood, and it appears that you have two that are quite hefty. Griff is not hefty. While we know rehoming a pet can be disheartening, the HOA has agreed to giving you 30 days to rehome your pets or to get your pets under 30 pounds. You have to be kidding me. Have you ever heard of this? A pet, when you have 20 acres of land, someone trying to tell me that I get rid of my dogs? First off, that's nonsense. I will not get rid of any pets. I will get more, and you or the township won't do anything about it. Is there really places out there besides apartment complexes that have stipulations on the size of a pet? What if your pet's 20 pounds and becomes 35? This is so stupid. Given your pet is overweight like you, it's highly unlikely you'll be able to get them under the weight restriction, but we are still granting you the 30-day period to comply. Look, this is unacceptable. And honestly, at this point, it feels like a little bit of discrimination. Look, everyone in the world is different today. I'm different from you, Margaret. I'm different from all of my fans, but I cherish that. What I can't stand is some old hag like you, Margaret, hiding behind a computer who's judging others. This is complete and utter nonsense, and it's harassment, and you will be located and you will be charged. Right, and that's the thing we were talking a little bit about last night was one thing for farmers that are trying to sell healthy, clean food is the frustration you run into when you run into that consumer that doesn't seem to care. And they're, they're a weight on the healthcare system and uh, 
you know, inflation and tax, our taxes going mm-hmm. to, su- to supplement that. But mm-hmm. I shared with you that, you know, I'm a recent convert to understanding at a higher level, the truth of what's going, what's happened in this country, mm-hmm. you know, just a couple of years ago in the last election, I, I, I voted for Joe Biden mm-hmm. and it wasn't until uh, they tried to force me to get the jab that I started researching, actually digging into, has this been tested? What's in it? Who's going to be liable if I get hurt? Right. And those simple surface level questions opened up a whole world of, wow, nobody's asking these questions and challenging the authorities right. that say. Right. So what advice do you have to other maybe young people that are confused about the reality because of the mainstream propaganda machine that is just overwhelming. Yeah, well, it is. And I I would simply, I would simply encourage uh, people to realize that the, if you look back through history, the orthodox narrative is usually wrong. Orthodox narrative is usually, if you can just, if you can just posit that for a moment, the orthodox narrative is usually wrong. Uh, you know, we, we would say here, we would say the mainstream media, we would say there's, there's any number of, of you know, the, the official government report, the official uh, White House press briefing of, of whatever, name your thing, the, the official orthodox position is, is probably wrong. And and um, if the average person can just embrace a um, a questioning spirit toward the toward the official narrative skepticism, uh, yeah, healthy skepticism, um, you know, we'd we'd be in a we'd be in a different a different ball game. I, I think so. And it uh, it doesn't take a lot with the internet. I think it's one of the greatest tools we have is that we can share our message. It can be used for evil. It can be consume your time and waste your day. Sure. But it can also sure. be a powerful way to connect. Absolutely. Absolutely. It, it, the internet has absolutely uh, democratized information like no medium in history has ever done. I mean, more than the printing press, uh, more than anything. And, um, and, and this whole uh, you know, uh, censorship and, and what Elon Musk has d- discovered at Twitter. And, oh, yeah, and that's, that's fun, been yeah, fun to watch. Yeah, it, it is. It's, it's, it's mind-blowing. And, and you know, this is not, this is not um, uh, partisan as much as it's ideological. And, um, and so, yeah, uh, the, the, cre- the credentialed orthodoxy on almost any narrative is is not right. I remember reading um, at one of my uh, uncle's places years ago, he was reading a book and just struck my interest, and it was written by um, six Nazi generals after World War II, okay? Okay. So they wrote this book about what was going through their mind during the war. Yeah, that would be an interesting perspective. It, it, well, I thought that was, that was, so I started reading, and and to the person, they knew they knew Germany was lost long before Berlin fell. Okay, but they had been so uh, conditioned to believe that if they surrendered their troops, these are generals; they're not colonels; they're not you know they're they're generals. Okay, that if they surrendered their battalion to the Allied forces, the Allied forces were just going to shoot them. 
That's what they believe. Right. They had been indoctrinated. Yeah, they'd to that been indoctrinated level. to believe if you surrender to those guys, mm -hmm. they're just going to shoot you. And and so these guys said, well, we don't have any choice. We've got to continue fighting, do the best we can, because um, they they had they had their their soldiers' best interests at mind. And they said, well, we have a better chance of surviving then if we if we keep fighting than if we surrender. Sure. And and you know, those kinds of things um, come out kind of after the history books get written. That's the kind of stuff. And and so there are a lot of those kinds of things. We need to look at those experiences to try and understand how people get into those mentalities. You know, like another World War II story is like the, the townspeople outside of Auschwitz. They knew what was going on just a couple miles outside of town, but they didn't do anything about it. So when the U.S. troops came and liberated those people, they made the townspeople go and actually clean up that concentration mm. camp and right. haul out the bodies, huh. you know, yeah. and that's, I think something that we could very easily fall into today. It's just burying our heads in the sand and ignoring some of the evils that are, are that are happening around us. Only News 3's Theo Keith gives us an inside look into the case through the eyes of two jurors. Well, Michelle, those jurors deny that they were biased toward Hirschberger. One of them now says she would not have convicted the Sauk County farmer on even that one charge. Welcome to the Rock Springs Library. In the small Sauk County village of Rock Springs, raw milk is a big issue. So when Vernon Hirschberger showed up to hear from the jurors who decided his fate, he got a hero's welcome. Twelve Sauk County jurors acquitted Hirschberger of three charges, convicting him on another. Would you like to start this out with maybe you telling us your experience? About ourselves. Kelly Winicky of Rock Springs and Michelle Hopp of Merrimack were on the panel and say they grew fatigued by the week-long trial, blaming prosecutors for objections that delayed the proceedings. It was frustrating because it seemed like a waste of everybody's time. It would have been nice to be able to move forward with the testimony. And with it being dragged on so long, it's like I was tired and exhausted. The jurors say they got renewed energy and decided to deliberate late on a Friday. Prosecutors had alleged Hershberger illegally sold his raw milk products, but the jurors put a lot of weight into the membership system that Hershberger used. Yeah, and, and and a lot of the things that have happened um, in, in, the, in the name of... Uh, whatever, uh, righteous indignation. I mean, I'm thinking, for example, prohibition. That's such a, a powerful one, you know. Um, I'm, not a, I'm not a big drinker, but, um, you know, at that time, that whole uh, prohibition movement created, created societal and jurisdictional uh, precedent that the government could tell you what you could and couldn't ingest. That was the first time. And it built, it's built. Yeah, from yeah. There. I mean, I mean, think about it. this was this was. Uh, I mean, watch all your Western movies, right, with John Wayne and Kevin Costner, or whatever. You know, and there's always the snake oil salesmen, you know, the hucksters and all this stuff. And <laughs> That's our pharmaceutical companies. Yeah, today. yeah, yeah. And, and so, so here, here they were at, at that time, but no, no, nobody tried to. There was no FDA. There was no, um, you know, jurisdiction. If if you could put it in a bottle. There was no labeling requirement. It was just a, it was a free for all, you know? And so you, were, you had to take responsibility for your own exactly, health. Exactly, exactly. So then you come to prohibition and suddenly, oh, oh, the government does have the right to tell me what I can and cannot ingest. Well, then you have, 
um, now, now the snake oil salesmen are suddenly we we got to we got to oh, uh, so control the, them. We've got to control. Them. And 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 then of course that all moved into the drug wars and marijuana. And you know, I mean uh, Jefferson and Washington, you know, a, a lot of the colonial income was hemp for rope fiber. Rope, you know, and and the fact that now the U.S. Well, didn't they say every farmer had to have a, a, so many hemp seeds before they could get their land or something? Yeah, yeah. There was there was some uh, uh, thing about that and. And so now the fact that there is no rope manufactured in the U.S., it's all manufactured elsewhere because we can't grow hemp. Uh, you know, it's made just, of plastic. Yeah, yeah. It's, <laughs> it's just symptomatic of, of this kind of, um, I'm going to be righteously indignant. I, I want a I solution. And the, the truth is that the most disempowering thing that a citizen can do is ask for a government solution to a problem. You know, mens rea comes up a lot because we are talking about um, sentencing reform. We're talking about, you know, changing a lot of this. And that's criminal seems, justice reform, right. adding the yeah. mens rea requirement. And is that a good thing or a bad thing? Because it seems, uh, you know, critics say, oh, that will let, among other things, that'll let corporate malefactors off the hook. Yeah. The critics, the cynicism of the critics of mens rea reform, uh, you can't. Uh, there's no way of overestimating the cynicism of these people. They're saying it would be a terrible thing because the people we don't like, corporate executives, they will be able to get off by arguing that there's absolutely no criminal intent on their part. They, you know, so you want absolute criminal liability for people you don't like. However, when they come after you, Suddenly you say, well, you know, I didn't intend to break the law. They want a separate set of laws, essentially, for the people they don't like, a separate set for themselves, their allies, and their protectees. Why isn't there a mens rea component already in place that is robust enough to well, arrest this? First of all, um, a lot of people don't realize this. Federal criminal law is not related to common law. So state systems have large common law elements. Rens rea is a common law protection. In order to convict somebody, you have to show they meant to commit the act and they knew that committing the act violated the law. Those two elements are necessary in common law courts, mostly state courts. The federal system, that's not true. Federal system operates by statute. And if you want to have a mens rea requirement, the statute has to provide it. An enormous number of federal statutes do not provide. And by the way, that's probably accidental. Uh, you know, legislators don't always know what they're doing. Um, and then there are these hundreds of thousands of regulations, each one of which has the, uh, uh, the uh, power uh, and effect of being a separate criminal law. And they are made up by bureaucrats. So uh, there's the number of missteps you can make in the course of a day, just in the federal system, is frightening and enormous. How did we get here? What are the political, the cultural, the legal um, <clears throat> mindsets that and actions that brought us to a world in which we're always already guilty. Um, it, was it by design? Was it by accident? Is it a combination of, of the two? I think that it is largely accidental. It kind of grew like topsy. Uh, part of it was the vast increase in the last several decades of the bu bureaucrats. And bureaucrats, think about bureaucrats. 
is that they need something to do because we have way too many federal employees, way too many state bureaucrats as well. And when you have... Although we have fewer federal employees per capita than we did in the Kennedy administration. Well, that doesn't mean that the Kennedy administration was the same time either. It it, it hasn't been the same. The 20th century was not the same time to the federal government. So weirdly in American life, and I know as somebody who came of age in the 60s, um, you know, the the fight was always against the bureaucrats, whether they were in big business at GM or at Pentagon or on college campuses. Um, where, who is, I mean, are the bureaucrats self-multiplying or, or like nobody likes bureaucrats, right? So why, why do we keep getting more of them? Well, they are self-multiplying in the sense that they're constantly telling the system, whoever is doing the hiring or allocating the funds, that they need more people in order to perform the function. On the other hand, they partly establish what the function is. So we have an overlawed society, and in order to in order to carry out the task of of of, of enforcing these laws, you need an increasing number of bureaucrats. Mm-hmm. And you know, uh, in, in the colleges, it's gotten especially bad. You've got many many colleges that do not have the money to hire. Uh, faculty members who are on tenure track, so they hire adjuncts who are paid very small amounts of money. You can, you can get somebody paid three thousand dollars to teach a semester course, and you, so the students are not being taught by seasoned, experienced, tenured or tenure track professors. They're being taught by part-time adjuncts who, during the day, you know, or night have other jobs. And the cause of that is the the, the rise cause of that of- is that. So much of the money is sucked up in order to support an ever-growing bureaucracy. The student life bureaucracy is just monumental. Are you optimistic that we're going to be paring back some of the overcriminalization or the mass statutization of, of American life? I think that we are on the verge of a massive reaction against overweening federal power. And I don't mean because people have become libertarians or people who've become federalists. I think it's much more unideological of that. Guess what? People have become targets. People have become defendants. Everybody knows somebody who was prosecuted for something that either shouldn't have been a crime or they didn't intend to do anything criminal. And everybody knows somebody or everybody has somebody in their family And as more and more victims of an out-of-control system pile up, they are starting to wake up about, that's why there's a movement now to to effectuate mens rea reform. You know, too many stories are now being told in the newspapers about somebody who got up in the morning, didn't intend to commit a crime, did something, and ended uh, ended up in a prison sentence. I know what you're probably thinking. I don't live on Geist Reservoir, so this really doesn't impact me. Well, the reality is this case extends well beyond this patio. It extends well beyond this reservoir. In fact, it could impact thousands of families all over Marion County. If the city decides to take a more aggressive stance on structures like this, it should cause a lot of people concern because they might have existing structures 
that they didn't get per permits for that they should have. Peter Kovacs is an attorney who specializes in laws affecting homeowners. He says the zoning ordinance the city is enforcing in the Peck's backyard could also mean big trouble for other families. Just look around. It seems nearly every neighborhood now has remodeled decks and patios with fire pits, trellises, sitting walls, and other features that are more than 18 inches high. It's a cautionary tale of what could happen if you don't make that step to get the permit. Do you think that most folks who have backyard patios and decks are aware that this is in play? Certainly not. And, and that's why this case is is should be of concern to them. The trumped-up charges against Michael Taylor would eventually be dropped. And about a year later, Mr. Taylor would file a lawsuit against Officer Kunkus, citing Second Amendment infringement and several Fourth Amendment violations, such as malicious prosecution, unlawful arrest, unlawful detention, unlawful search, and unlawful seizure. What's unique about Mr. Taylor's lawsuit is that he's a pro se plaintiff, meaning he's not represented by an attorney. Mr. Taylor is representing himself. Michael Taylor questioning Officer Andrew Kunkus during his deposition. How many people get the opportunity to question the person who unlawfully arrested them and violated their rights? This is going to be great. All right. Um, officer Kokus, how long have you been an officer of Bell Harbor? Since May of 2011. Um, have you worked at any other police department in the state of Florida? Miami Beach Police Department. And for how long? May of 1994 until October 2010. Have you ever been involved with a lawsuit? Uh, yes. Uh, when? In the 1990s. Do you know what 901.151 of the Florida State? Okay, Michael is not wasting any time. A very, very brief introduction of the officer, just a very brief employment history, and asking if he's involved in any other lawsuit. If I was taking this deposition, maybe I would have started off with some very open-ended basic questions that will make them look like fools in the future, such as, officer, do you believe in constitutional rights? Do you believe that constitutional rights should be applied to everybody? Do you believe in upholding the law? Do you believe that if people don't uphold the law, they should be punished? Stuff like that. But Michael's jumping straight into it. Let's see where this goes. Statutes is. Uh, yeah, in, in, in regards to uh, uh, stopping people and uh, frisking them, detaining them. Correct. Um, do you happen to know what 790.25 is? It has to do with uh, being armed while going on a hunting or fishing expedition. Um, we'll, we'll get to the letters here in a minute, the lettering, but primarily the beginning parts of 790.25. Do you know what that part of the statute? You don't have to give me the verbatim what it says, but just a general consensus with 790.25 says in the Florida statutes that uh, it's okay to have a rifle if you're going hunting or fishing. I'll give you a little insight. 790.25, the beginning parts, just without the letters or the numbers, pertains to possession of a firearm. All right. If I was Michael, I would make him read the statute. Pull it up on your screen and say, officer, can you read this for me? Make him read it in the record. And if he refuses to read it, read it to him and then ask, does this sound correct? And He's going to give off some generic answer like, yeah, I guess, blah, blah, blah. And by the way, the officer totally is not doing himself any favors here. He looks like a jerk. He's not making any eye contact. He's not putting time away for this deposition. 
He's trying to act like, oh, I'm on duty. I'm doing this. It's disrespectful to the court. And if a jury listens to this, it's going to make him look like a jerk. Do you know what section three of 790.25 says? No, not exactly. Section three states, and I'm not quoting this. I just want to give you a general idea. But the beginning part says the provisions of Florida statute 790.053 and 790.06 do not apply in the following instances. Do you know what 790.053 is? No. Make him read it. Pull it up. Make him read it. Do not paraphrase. He's doing a great job, actually. Do you know what 790.06 is? No. Okay, just so I can give you a little clarity about it, the 790.053 statute pertains to open carry. 790.06 pertains to concealed carry. Is 790.053 in Florida, under the Florida statute, is that illegal in Florida? I was wondering, can a felon carry a firearm while going fishing or hunting? That wasn't my question. He's got him so flustered. Yes. Ooh, Michael missed a good chance to snap back. He should have said something like, officer, I know that in your day-to-day -day life, you're used to asking the questions, but I'm asking the questions here. That's not what I asked. All right. I'm just wondering. All right. So you have the book in front of you. Go ahead. I don't. I, right now, I'm just, I'm asking you questions and I'm just looking to see if you know the answers. No. You, you don't know if open carry is lawful or illegal in the state of Florida? It's generally not lawful. Do you know what the 379 statutes are? No. Do you know what 379.105 is? Nope. What if I told you that 379.105 is, in a general consensus of this, this statute, is harassment of fishers or hunters? Okay. I'll take your word for it. Make him read it. Make him read it, Michael. Come on. Under that law, there are, there are penalties for harassment of fishers or hunters. Do you know what those penalties are? No. What are the penalties? The penalties are a second degree misdemeanor. Um, have you ever arrested somebody for a second degree misdemeanor? Yes. Under 379.354 of the Florida statutes, do you know what that is? No. 379.354, in a general nutshell, it pertains to possession of a fishing license and the authorities that I would have to give said license to. Do you know who would check a fishing license? Generally, the Fish and Wildlife Commission does that. And do you know what the FWC in Florida actually stands for? Florida Wildlife Commission. It's a Florida and Fish and Wildlife police officer basically and they and they're state oriented just like um state troopers these are state oriented law enforcement officers a completely different um, agency that just focuses on wildlife right that's that's primarily it's fishing hunting game you know anything that's wildlife here in the state of florida whether it be boars fish whatever it's all covered under them under 379 statutes it primarily deals or actually it only deals with florida wildlife and commission officers specifically i have asked many people for their fishing license you have yes i have what authority did you have i do it out on the jetty when people are fishing and I have the, I am, I am allowed to ask for it. Why do you think you have the right to ask for it? It's a Florida statute. I'm empowered to enforce Florida statutes.
Okay, so Michael's actually doing a good job here. I'm not necessarily convinced on the authority of a police officer to ask for a fisherman's license. I'm not a Florida lawyer. Maybe they can't ask, but regardless, the other statutes are hilarious. Michael should have asked him to read the harassment of a fisherman. And that is why you ask him commitment questions at the beginning, saying, don't you agree people who break the law should be punished? Have him read the statute and then walk him through what they did to Michael. But make no mistake, if these court cases don't pass and they end up being able to enforce this stupid rule, sure, the idea of them going in and confiscating every single one of them is not very rational. But I can guarantee you what they will do, they'll come after people like me. They'll go to the top of the heads and people who are most visible and try to make an example out of them to scare the rest of you all to register your damn braces. But personally, I don't think it's going to survive the muster and the scrutiny that comes with going through the legal system. I'm not saying you should do this or you shouldn't do that. I'm just saying, based on what I see with respect to the court system, I'm kind of hopeful. Officer Winters again tells Galanakis he shows signs of being impaired. I would, my, during my field sobriety, I, it is indicative of impairment. So let's, let's, let's be honest. I'm being honest. You smoke some it. weed at your friend's house? No. You hit a pin? Nope. Okay. Why is no your mean. field, why is your field sobriety so poor? What? Why is your field sobriety so poor? And why are you so lethargic and slow moving and speaking with a slurred speech? And That's your eyes are watery, speech. and your eyes are bloodshot. You know they're watery? Right through rain right now. Galanakis tells the officer he doesn't smoke because he's on the college football team. No weed. I don't smoke weed. I play college football. I told you that. We get tested every Friday. Okay. Don't smoke weed. Today's Saturday. Okay. It's 30 days. We stay on your for 30 days. So if I did a test next week, I'd be off the football team. Body camera video then shows Officer Winters speaking with another officer saying Galanakis hesitated when answering about smoking. I said, when's the last time you smoked weed? And he hesitated for a long period of time and said, I honestly can't remember. When Officer Winters comes back out of his squad car, he places Galanakis under arrest. Wait for change bunch back. Right now you're being placed under arrest for operating while intoxicated, okay? I'm not intoxicated. I'm not yeah, I blew zero. So I ended up getting put in cuffs because I blew zeros and I get taken back to the department. And at that point, you know, it's, it's real life. It's not a prank. Galanakis is taken to the Newton Police Department where he continues to maintain his sobriety. A drug recognition expert later determined Galanakis was not intoxicated at the time he was pulled over. Galanakis requested the body camera video after his arrest and decided to post it to social media. Galanakis's edited body camera video now has more than 1 million views on YouTube. When I posted the video to Facebook and all of that, the whole town was telling me about their similar you know, experiences and all that. And if, if I'm seeing all these comments about people saying they're dealing with the same thing from the same police department, we, we, got, some, we got a mess to clean up. And I feel like that's my job. The exposure I got, I got to clean up the mess. And I'm okay with doing that. Well, with the publicity my video got, I really hope, you know, it upbrings the corruption in Newton and other towns that have this, like similar issues. But yeah, with the exposure of the video, I think it should just show them, like, hey, we need to do something better.
you know, because what they're doing is not right. Galanakis tells Law and Crime Network he decided to pursue legal action after an outpouring of support online. I really started getting inboxes on Facebook, Instagram, and all of that, not from lawyers, but from people that wanted me to uh, talk to their lawyer. So it was just like maybe the lawyer's family members reached out to me and, hey, I know a really good lawyer, blah, blah, blah. Galanakis filed a lawsuit in U.S. District Court for the Southern District of Iowa against the city of Newton and its police department. The court documents allege Galanakis's civil rights were violated and that the department is guilty of false arrest. Long Crime Network reached out to the Newton Police Department for an interview, but were told they have no comment at this time. So essentially, Officer Kunkis is checking people's fishing license, even though he has zero authority to do so. And even if he did find a violation, he would have to ask a different agency to enforce it. Police can't even run my fishing license. Most of these things are not criminal citations. Interesting. You, do you know fishing regulations in the state of Florida? A few of them. What are those regulations you know? Uh, size of snooks, lobster season. Okay. What are size the regulations for snooks? Of course this guy knows all of this stuff. He's trying to prove that the officer actually doesn't know these statutes. Uh, the snook has to be between 14 and 29 inches or some approximate size like that. I'd have to re-refer to the book. If I was to tell you it was 28 in, or on the east coast of Florida, it's 28 to 32 inches. And on the west coast, it's 28 to 33 inches. Would you agree or disagree with that? Uh, I would say that that sounds reasonable. Well, that's actually 100%. <laughs> I love this guy. This guy's awesome. And the cop is not doing himself any favors by how he's acting. Well, I've never fined anybody for any violation for it. And just like I questioned him about, oh, well, what's the size limit on snook? Because he said he, he's checked people for snook. And he's like 14 to 29. And I'm like, that's not even close. Not even remotely close. He's He got two two inches, right? But if he caught somebody with a 30-inch fish and his 14 to 29 would get actually that person arrested for a felony because it's a federal it's a federally protected fish. And that's why I was like, you're you're really pushing the limit on bringing Sean to arrest somebody. He's like, well, I don't really find them. But you check them. And that's the problem is that you don't have that authority but my curiosity with this is you don't know like as you just said you don't you don't know the, the law how can you enforce something that you don't know by a careful review of the statute before taking any action what a great question by michael if you're his lawyer y'all what are your next questions going to be if i'm the lawyer the questions are officer earlier in this deposition you did not have a specific reference for the codes that I cited. Isn't that correct? Yes, that's correct. Okay, so if you're going to arrest somebody for those codes, shouldn't you have consulted the book before you took action? You get them to commit, and then you use their words against them. Do you know what the Fourth Amendment is? Yes. What is it? Due process. This is bad. Okay, saying the Fourth Amendment is due process is extremely vague. So he's going to get this police officer basically admitting he doesn't know what the Fourth Amendment is. If I was to tell you um, that is not correct, and I was to tell you it's unreasonable searches and seizures, allowing myself to be in possession of my personal property, effects, things of that nature, if I told you that, would you believe me? All right. Is that a yes or is that a no? Uh, 
That's an I don't know. This officer is not doing himself any favors by being a jerk. I'm looking at the camera, looking at him, looking at his lawyer, and he's just sitting in his car just like, man, I don't want to be here. And like, and that's that's why I think this video, people can see it on paper all day, but to see his demeanor is just like the disdain. And it's not probably not just me. I'm sure he's done this to numerous other people. You know, it wasn't day one for him. You are not an FWC officer, correct? No, I'm not. When you became a police officer, did you swear or affirm that you would uphold and defend the Constitution, the Florida Constitution, and the laws thereof? Yes. Uh, do you have your phone with you, or are you on your phone? Uh, no, I'm on a laptop from work. Okay. Um, I have my phone with me, yes. Can you go to Marion Webster for me real quick? No. Can you please pull out your phone and go to Marion Webster for me, please? He, he doesn't he doesn't have to look anything up. He's just here. He doesn't have to look anything up, but you can look it up, put it on your screen and make him read it. They answer questions today. So man, I have no I'll put it up on the screen. I mean Oh yeah, please, please. Journey or excursion undertaken for a specific purpose, group of persons making such a journey. Okay. Um we're gonna we're gonna slow this down a little bit and we're gonna take this just like just like 790.25, section three, and then we have multiple subsections in that, correct? We have multiple, it's A through a bunch like J or K or way down there. But there's multiple sections of certain definitions of law. Just like in this definition of law or definition, we're going to start at the beginning. The definition of an expedition is a journey or excursion undertaken for a specific purpose. That is the first part. The second part is saying the group of persons making such a journey. The second definition. So I think where he's trying to go here is the fishing expedition. So even though he might not have been able to fish, like what we were talking about earlier, he was on a fishing expedition. Efficient promptness, i.e. speed. The third definition, a sending or setting forth. Would you agree as a reasonable person, definition one, section A, was I on a journey or excursion undertaken for a specific purpose? So the, your purpose was eventually to file lawsuits for monetary gain? He's got them. You know you're doing a good job when they just pull this BS on you. There wouldn't be a lawsuit if his rights weren't violated. Is that was the purpose? That wasn't my question. My question was, as a reasonable person, would uh, definition one, section A, a journey or excursion undertaken for a specific purpose, would that be a reasonable, reasonable definition of what I was doing? Well, there's your, there's your uh, uh, ostensible purpose, then there's your actual purpose. What's the actual purpose? Well, what was my actual purpose? Lawsuit. Do you know how many lawsuits I have? 40. If I told you I have other other than a dismissed lawsuit that I didn't even, I was part of uh, that got dismissed. I haven't researched you. No, I don't. I have no idea. Well, I have, you're saying I have 40 and, and I've got lots of videos. So, okay. So 40, that's what you're saying. I'm just throwing okay. out a number. Well, let's keep it realistic. Like if you really think that just, I mean, that's what I would actually ask is throw out a realistic number. I want to know what you're, what you think about this. What's your next question, sir? <laughs> okay. I will say Michael got a little distracted. He did take the bait about him filing a lot of lawsuits. I don't know how many lawsuits this guy has filed, whether it's zero or 10 or 50 or whatever, but that's irrelevant. Michael should have sat back and said, officer, I'm the one asking questions. That wasn't my original question. What is the definition of an expedition? And do you agree reasonably, was I on an expedition as defined 
by Marion Webster. But that's okay. That's okay. Taking a deposition is hard, man. It gets very emotional. And especially if you, if you don't do it a lot, stay on track. Michael's doing a pretty good job. But on that same topic, I must ask all of you, why is everybody so rude today? Look, we all have our own habits. Some of the trolls on this page, they watch this content, but they don't like it. It's called addiction, right? Some people have several forms of addiction. I like food. I realize that. But you know what? We are exercising and trying to get healthier as a family. And that's all you can do is make incremental changes to be better. And then what they say is even more disturbing. It's unfortunate that we have to take these types of measures, but you can always look to get a small dog or cat, or you can take you and your fat dogs to a new home or if necessary, a homeless shelter. Thanks for your understanding, Margaret. I'm crushed that someone would even think of this. I can't even imagine telling my kids that we're being harassed like this and someone's threatening to take away our animals whether this is about our dogs our pets or sheer frustration with me no one deserves this kind of harassment no one deserves this kind of rudeness to their family and you margaret you need some help i agree Th that's the most disempowering thing you can do there are a lot of things i mean goodness 1906 upton sinclair uh the jungle you know brought on uh the the the, the food safety and inspection service in 1906, you know, when 50% when of the meat was produced by, what was it, uh, I think, uh, seven, seven companies, and that was considered, uh, you know, monopoly. Seven companies control 50% of the American meat supply. Today, a century after the government got involved, now, worse. yeah, four companies control 85%. We've got a lot more And we people. consider that free market, you know. Uh, and so, so the fact that when Upton Sinclair wrote The Jungle, there could have been all sorts of uh, AAA underwriters lab private certifications. There could have been, you know, membership organizations with their own criteria. We'll inspect the slaughterhouse, put our stamp on the meat, you know, to prove you know, that it's good. It could all have been done in the private sector. Could have all been done in the private sector, mm -hmm. but instead we got a government agency that now makes it illegal for me to butcher a chicken and sell it to you at church. It's so powerful how deeply instilled it is that we think we need to ask for that permission. You know, and I'm yes. hearing that today yeah. too yeah. from a lot of the, the mm -hmm. attendees, especially the ones that came from California. Yeah. <laughs> they're, yeah. they're, okay, in order to do this thing in the private domain, what yeah. forms do I have to right. fill out? That's right. not the point. The yeah, point yeah. is you don't have to. Yeah, yeah, that, that's exactly right. We, we have become such a, such a uh, ask permission society. Yeah, yeah. When I speak and I tell well uh, our story, you know, people constantly ask, "Is that legal? You know, do you do you have to get permission on stuff?" And uh, you know, when we started when we started butchering chickens in the backyard and selling them to neighbors back in the nineteen seventies, uh, late seventies, early eighties, I confess it never occurred to me that that could be illegal. <laughs> I mean, it never occurred to me. Right. I, these are my chickens. Right. My neighbors want a chicken. Sure, I'll butcher it for you. You know, I mean, it, it seems so simple. And then, and then to whatever, you know, 10 years later, when the government finally caught up with us, I guess, or somebody, um, to, to learn that all that time this had been illegal, really? Uh, yeah, it was just, it was just uh, nuts. Uh, I remember the, the th when it struck me, oh, <laughs> Well, uh, how naive could I be? You yeah. know, th th this could actually be illegal.
how is that not a retail operation? You can't just walk off the street and go in and buy something off his shelves. To me, just looking at, at this case. At in an unusual move, five jurors came to Hershberger's sentencing earlier this month, including Hop and Winicky. Hop and three others wrote a letter to the judge asking for leniency. They deny that they had a small-town bias against the state's case. I went in with open mind, and I went in with the evidence that was placed in front of me. I'm really glad that Vernon and his family have closure. I'm glad that it's close to being over for them, because it was probably a very difficult three years. Hirschberger's defense attorney says the farmer has picked up as many as 100 new members since the trial. Hershberger has said he will continue with business as usual. All right, hot button issue. Thanks, yeah. Theo. What are the hinge points? What are the key things that have to happen to make sure that, uh, you know, this urge towards de-bureaucratizing our lives and, and de-lawyering our lives actually hits home? So many people now have been, have been uh, hurt by the system, and including, and this is critical, members of Congress, members of state legislators, Governors who have been indicted. Uh, this is the, you know, they just argued uh, former Virginia Governor McDonald's case in the Supreme Court. I come before you this evening as someone who has been falsely and wrongfully accused and whose public service has been wrongfully attacked. Earlier today, federal prosecutors filed criminal charges against me and my wife, Maureen alleging that we violated federal law by accepting gifts and loans. And the lawyers for Virginia were obviously quite taken aback. They were getting hostile questions from all but one. I think they were in total shock. Why is that the case? There were amici briefs filed by an enormous number of former attorneys general, state attorneys general, a few federal attorneys general, former governors, uh, 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 all ganged together, people who wouldn't agree on what day of the week this is, agreed that the Department of Justice was becoming almost a terrorist organization with respect to state, local, and even federal public officials. That's what causes change. The people in power begin to get hurt by their own system. So let's talk about free speech, um, yeah, particularly on college campuses. You co-founded the Foundation for Individual Rights in um, Education. Uh, you also co-authored The Shadow University with Alan Kors. Talk about when you started FIRE, how bad things were, and then are they better or worse in the intervening years? When I co-founded um, FIRE with Alan Kors, I assumed that FIRE would have about a 10-year life. We were not looking to start an institution. Uh, I thought that uh, it was needed uh, in order to deal with a temporary uh, public uh, panic and insanity. Uh, you know, suddenly the mid 80s speech codes and academic campuses on campuses that were liberal arts campuses, speech codes, certain things you couldn't talk about, um, kangaroo courts to enforce the speech codes. Um, I figured it was such there was such dissonance uh, that presented by these uh, institutions growing up on the campuses that if we did a little pushback, just a little pushback, this edifice would collapse of its own uh, its own idiocy and inappropriateness. Inappropriateness is a very important word because you're talking here about liberal arts colleges where free speech and free ideas are supposed to be paramount. 
And so I figured 10 years and then we would go out of business. Uh, little did I realize that things were going to be getting worse during those 10 years. Talk about an early case, you know, that helped uh, push you to, to create fire and then talk about how nowadays that wouldn't, you know, it almost wouldn't even register. Well, I'll tell you what got us to start fire was the publication of the Shadow University. It came out in 98 and suddenly Coors and I were getting of phone calls and panic letters from people on college campuses who were in trouble for doing things that no sane human being would think was a violation of any uh, reasonable instance. rule. Oh, uh, saying something uh, uh, that injured the feelings of a fellow student or an administrator or a faculty member um, and uh, uh, of, of demonstrating politically outside of a free speech zone. We had thought that whole campus was a free speech right. zone. Not true. They would segregate the people who had the audacity to want to, uh, you know, voice their uh, sometimes unpopular views. They would put them in a little corner away, away from the center of the campus. And if they ventured outside of that little corner, they were charged with a form of trespassing, actually. Ray worries that lots of other homes in Indianapolis, including the Geist area, might also be subject to inspection and fines by the city. This will impact everybody. Is the city now actively looking for permit violations on decks and patios that are higher than 18 inches? There is not a proactive um, enforcement team that is uh, intentionally looking for things of that nature, no. That's Amy Wonder, Deputy Director of the city's Department of Business and Neighborhood Services. Her answer got me thinking. If the city is not proactively enforcing its minor residential structure rule, why are inspectors enforcing it against the Peck family? We don't know for sure because city officials told me they cannot talk specifics about the case. Why? There is still ongoing litigation with the particular case that you're referencing, and um, at this time I would not be able to comment on that. Some questions the city will not answer, and other questions it seems are hard to answer. Really hard. When do folks need a permit and when do they not need a permit? Unfortunately, there's not a, a clear this or that answer. It just depends a little bit on the type of improvement that is proposed. If someone has a, a fence or a wall or a trellis that's built onto their deck, would that need a permit if it's above 18 inches? It would really depend on the scope of their project that is identified on their plans. What about a fire pit that's built in as part of a deck? Um, I think that's hard to answer. I think that depends on on the nature of that improvement. And again, we'd have to see the plans to be able to make that determination. Of course, anytime the city reviews your plans, there's a fee for that. There's also a fee for a permit. But the city says it's better to be safe than sorry. When in doubt, apply for a permit and we're happy to help you navigate that process. The PECs have learned that lesson the hard way, and there's still no resolution in sight. This has just been horrible. We've been through six years of hell and expense, and it's, it has controlled our lives. This backyard battle is still working its way through the zoning appeal process. Bottom line, if you're building or renovating a deck or patio in the city of Indianapolis, and any part of it is above 18 inches, chances are you need a permit. We have lots more information, including links to city codes and resources at WTHR.com. 
I'm Bob Siegel, 13 Investigates. What is the rules of trespassing as a law enforcement officer? To be in a place where you're prohibited from being or you no longer have permission. And can you ID somebody if they are trespassing? Well, if you told them your presence here is uh, no longer allowed, you must leave, and they refuse to leave, then that's trespass after warning. Okay, so perfect. So trespass after warning, you have to give them the option to leave, and then if they do not leave, then you can arrest them, correct? That's correct. At what point was I trespassing? Uh, Mr. Taylor, if you would just showed us some identification, this all could have been avoided. But you refused to show identification saying that since your activity was lawful, which was. You just said it wasn't lawful 30 seconds ago. It was lawful because his activity was lawful. You had no reasonable suspicion. If you have no reasonable suspicion, you could not ask for his identification. Technically, sort of. Um, your intention was, at least. Uh, if you just showed some identification, then, then that wouldn't... We didn't arrest you for trespassing. We arrested you for resisting an officer without violence. And open carry. Yes. Do you know what happened to those charges? They were dropped. I have, unless I'm breaking the law, you don't, I, I have a right. Those questions that he's answering are a very direct reflect of why I'm suing. I want him to realize what he did was wrong because I can't get him arrested like he arrested me. Okay, y'all, listen, I was coming into this thinking Michael was going to be one of those weird sovereign citizen wackos. He actually is uh, pretty smart. He's pretty smart. He took a relatively good deposition. Yeah, he might have missed some opportunities to go and get the officer to further commit, which then he could use against him. But at the end of the day, this is a case where, although Michael is probably technically correct, his damages won't be huge, if any. So I anticipate this is a case that he will either win or settle just based on what I've seen. But it's not like he's going to get millions and millions of dollars or even hundreds of thousands of dollars. But ultimately, yes, he might make the police department pay something, but uh, that's nothing to shake a stick at. He is uh, clearly very passionate about his rights. And the thing about rights is you have them no matter what. They cannot be taken away from you just because somebody misinterprets the law or applies the law incorrectly. So yeah, for whatever it's worth, I hope y'all found that to be an interesting video. I did, I actually really enjoyed it. All right, y'all. The Free Speech Zone is a small triangle on campus. There's really no regular foot traffic. When we measured the size of the Free Speech Zone, it came out that it was only 0.1% of the entire land area of the main campus here. We had suddenly had all of these phone calls and letters from students who were being charged uh, with things which seemed to be normal life on a college campus. Uh, and so we couldn't handle it. You know, we, there weren't enough lawyers running to handle it. So we started FIRE in order to process all these and try to, uh, number one, find help for the students. And number two, we undertook the task of writing letters to the presidents and to the deans to explain why it is that this particular action could not be a violation. This action couldn't be a violation. If you have a rule against this, it's the rule that's the problem, not the student that's the problem. And I figured you point out to an administrator how absurd the administrator is acting. Surely the administrator will see the light of day. Well, no, not how the administrator reacted when we started to uh, harangue them is they hired more assistants to deal with us. Somewhere along the way, we lost the uh, the basic understanding of, you know, Jesus said, love God and love one another, mm -hmm. you know, and we've got some basic commandments to follow so that we don't hurt each other. But beyond sure. that, 
we're here to uh, to live free. Yeah, well, you know, it's thorny. I'll tell you, um, COVID has probably been the most thorny one for the libertarian mindset because, you know, the libertarian says, um, do whatever you want as long as your fist doesn't hit my nose, right? You know, that, that's kind of the, the saying, your fist doesn't hit my nose. But if I really believe that your non-masking or non-vaxxing is going to kill me, your hand has hit my nose when you express your freedom. And that is that that's is a, the theory. Th- th- yeah, that's the theory. That's a really thorny one. I mean, it's similar to me. For example, you know, my conventional farming neighbors think that since I don't vaccinate my cows, <laughs> they're going to get sick. <laughs> Well, and, why are they vaccinating their cattle? What's the point of that if they're going to be the ones that are getting sick? Well, well, because well, because people aren't reasonable. But, but, but anyway, my point is that so we don't vaccinate. So now a blackbird is going to come and take one of our diseases to the neighbors. They're going to lose their farm because I was negligent. You know that that's where it's, th- it's, that's where it gets dicey. Um, you know we we want this we want this uh, your fist hitting my nose to be really precise and measurable you know and and simple it's not that simple but it's not it's not that simple it's nature nature and the complexity of the world it's it's our hubris to think that we've got it all figured out yeah yeah and we don't trust in nature's systems that's exactly right that's exactly right all right so you know something i was thinking about is how these these over regulations these hmm, violations of our own personal decision making and responsibility i think most of these rules are written with the best of intentions typically speaking but like i kind of alluded to earlier It's kind of like once people get a taste of the power of being the rule makers, the rule enforcers, it's, it's like a drug. It's like they can't give up that power. So even if the rules are written with the intention of protecting the common good, right? Whether that be food safety or, you know, zoning and you know permitting and fill in the blank you know public health orders the fact that they are just done they're just written and they never come off the books like i said many of these rules don't even require any kind of vote oftentimes it's just sort of a rubber-stamped, you know, administrative policy or uh, regulation, right? It's not even law, but it, it carries the weight of law. And people have their lives ruined by these kinds of excessive rules. It seems to me that Oftentimes, all these rules compound and end up creating the opposite of the desired effect. 
you know, I think first and foremost about our food system, right? Like Joel Salatin was talking about, after the publishing of, of The Jungle by Upton Sinclair, there was a big push for food safety, you know, for regulating sort of the meatpacking industry. And, you know, that's where it starts, right? A good, that's a good, noble cause. We want to prevent foodborne illness. But decades later, you have this system that's become so, de- you know, so centralized and top heavy that, you know, you've kind of defeated the entire purpose, right? What's the point of clean food if it's, if it's stripped of all nutrients, if it's raised in inhumane and unsustainable ways, right? Whereas before you had thousands and thousands of farms, you know, and if, if there was a breakout or a, you know, contaminant, it was fairly small in its scope. Now you have just a handful of massive producers where if you have a bad product that makes people sick, it's, it's across the nation, across the world before you even realize it. You know, we spray everything for bugs and disease. But when when something kind of breaks through our defenses, it just decimates the food. You end up with massive failures instead of small failures. And when it comes to sort of like building codes and zoning regulations, and you know, I can see the argument. They've just gotten out of hand. And it gets to the point where you end up with very sterile, you know, uniform kind of construction instead of anything with any kind of character. Right? There's a reason we don't build our homes to last the way people used to. You know, we build our homes out of twigs and fiberglass and drywall. If you've got the money to spend, maybe you do brick on the facade. But it's hardly it's hardly a permanent dwelling. It's not built for multiple generations. You know, we used to build our homes of stone. Now we build them of fucking the cheapest raw materials we can get our hands on. This is this is partly why. The little S or the little T tyranny, I should say. You know, the petty tyrants. They claim to be on the side of sort of fairness and and you know progress. But all they're doing is holding us back. How else can I say it? It's just too much. It's too fucking much. And people are getting sick and tired of it. I've been talking with this guy I know um, on and off. And it just seems to both of us that people have grown very... I don't know. They've, they've lost their patience for this kind of nonsense. People are not going to put up with it much longer. 
you're going to start hearing about people pushing back more and more. You know, it's like the guy fighting fighting his HOA with his YouTube channel. You know, telling Margaret she can go pound sand. <laughs> and I find it funny that he claims that him and his neighbors are unaware of any HOA that they ever joined. That this one neighbor is just claiming that authority. It's crazy. It's crazy, man. But yeah, you know, at the very least, we got to be able to like address it, maybe poke fun at it, but recognize it for the threat that it is. You know, it's not just about the big capital G government, capital T tyranny. Now, the little T tyranny is right out your back door. This is why it's important to be on good terms with your neighbors, right? Try not to make enemies. You know, that should be the only incentive you need to keep your property tidy is to be a good neighbor, to stay on your neighbor's good side. And ideally, that's all the motivation they should need to stay on your good side. You know, the only motivation to build a, a sound house should be that the, you know, the house needs to be sound. You want a good quality house. Why do we need multiple inspections and permits and and pages and pages of building codes? You know, we have lost the ability to trust craftsmen, to trust farmers, to trust, you know, restaurants. Instead of sort of doing things the right way for their own sake, we assume that everyone would would just, you know, serve you food that would make you ill if it wasn't for the FDA. Truth is, they want customers to come back. They're not going to do that. Like I said, at a certain point, the mission is is disrupted by the people trying to achieve the mission. You know, they they have the opposite effect. One of our great ironies you know, health food, you know, I should say like health inspectors make food less healthy. You know, building inspectors make the buildings less interesting, less beautiful, less, less strong. Fill in the blank. You know, homeowners associations destroy communities. Why, why all those syllables anyways? Homeowners Association. Couldn't we just call it a neighborhood and trust that people will resolve disputes like grown-ups instead of needing some apparatus to control everybody? Yeah, people wonder why, why I don't have faith in our system seems pretty obvious to me it's just so broken you know another way to describe it would be the tyranny of the majority right thanks to the perceived social consent the consent of the governed people in the government take advantage of the power that's granted to them 
I, when I simply think, if you, if, what's the old saying? Few men are wise enough to govern themselves, so why should we think anyone is wise enough to govern others? Seems like a truism to me. All right, I think that's it for now, y'all. Hope you've enjoyed it. Uh, This has been Mike the Polymath, Easy Peasy Podcast, and I will talk to you soon. If you would like to donate to the Easy Peasy Podcast, please go to easypeasy.ittybitty.tips. Thanks for listening.